Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? This is Jay Scott. It is another episode of the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're doing as good as can be. As I've mentioned before on previous podcasts, stay healthy, stay strong, keep smiling. We'll get through all this sooner or later. I think the end, I think the light is there at the end of the tunnel, and I think we're approaching it, and I think before we know it, we're going to have a new normal with masks and social distancing, but hey, at least we'll be able to get out of the house. Like to welcome in our next guest. It's been a while since she's been on the podcast. It's been, Jesus, like six months. I think the last episode we did was about Greta Van Fleet, but I'd like to welcome in Ari Carnezis at Twitter, uh, at or I'm sorry, on Twitter at Ari underscore McKay. What's going on, Ari? How are you? Hi, Jay. It's, oh my God, it's so good to be back. I miss doing episodes um, on this podcast. Yeah, you know what? I know we've been talking about doing a few different things over the last couple months, and and it just, you know, I don't know if it's just been timing or just because my schedule fills up so fast now, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, and then plus your schedule, right? You just got done with finals with your junior year of college. So congrats on that. And one more year. Thank you. Yeah. One more year to go. And so, yeah, so I'm just happy to have you back and I'm happy to discuss the next topic, which is remembering Chris Cornell on his three years of his passing, uh, back in Michigan during a show after a show. And just the impact his death has had and what's the latest on his legacy. Where are you at with everything with Chris Cornell? I mean, I know your video blog on YouTube is what inspired me to contact you on our first episode regarding Chris Cornell. How have you coped? Have there been moments where it's been difficult? Have you began to enjoy his music more what's that been like absolutely um i would say it's it's been a little bit of both um i've uh noticed being a grunge fan for so many years um soundgarden has been the band that i've been listening to most consistently um it's never you know i've i'm i'm always putting on like a soundgarden song you know at any given moment 
Um, and as much as I love the other bands, like I said, Soundgarden is like that band that I can never, ever get sick of. I've been listening to them for like almost 10 years now. And it, it, it does get hard sometimes thinking about, um, you know, uh, Chris Cornell passing away at such a young age. And so suddenly it's sometimes it reminds me of how, how it affected me. I, um, I never cried over a celebrity before, but I cried for a really long time when I found out he died. But looking back, it's like, I'm just glad that I was introduced to his music so many years ago. And I'm grateful, um, what, uh, I'm grateful for what he was able to bring to so many fans around the world, including me. Yeah. You know, I, 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 have the same type of feelings where I, I get sad when I realize there's not going to be any more new music. You know, the music, even if they do release unreleased stuff, which maybe there is material, maybe there's not, I don't really know. But I do get saddened when I know that the Audio Slave reunion will never happen. I know there was talks to do that. I know that, you know, the circumstances around his death have been questioned in terms that, you know, did he want, did he intend to commit suicide as his death has been labeled? I fall on the side where I don't. I think, you know, we all watch these pharmaceutical commercials and we all watch these, you know, when they get to the end of these commercials and they say side effects may include this and this and this and this and this, and they give like this checklist of things. And sometimes some of the medication causes suicidal thoughts. And yeah. I, I believe the drug that he was on did have that as a side effect. I, I do know that he was maybe taking more than he should have. I know there's been reports out there for that. I think that's been confirmed. So obviously the more dosage you take, the increase in potential side effects affecting you becomes greater, obviously. So I think with him being on that medication and maybe no one to really monitor it affected his mind, affected his decision-making, affected his emotions. And when he gets back to the hotel room in Michigan after the show, he decides to take his own life. And it just didn't make sense. I remember making breakfast for my son and I, and I have the phone in one hand and I'm scrolling through breaking news and I'm cooking eggs and I see Chris Cornell died and I gasped out loud and my son was like what's wrong what's wrong and I said Chris Cornell passed away last night and I couldn't believe it so it has affected me but I think the thing that I've really been affected by is the power of pharmaceutical drugs and what they can do to you I mean if there is a prime example of these celebrities who are mixing drugs together or they can't keep track of the drugs around so they're mixing medication I mean you can give a long list of actors entertainers that have passed away over the past few years you know you look at Prince you look at Tom Petty you look at Chris Cornell and it's become a tragedy all over the country with people being impacted by it and becoming addicted by it and it doesn't and it also means that our entertainers our favorite movie stars our favorite 
musicians are also affected by it, and probably more because of the access they have due to the funds and the financial resources they have. Yeah, I definitely agree. The fact that the accessibility is so easy, the fact that celebrities definitely have the money to do it, plus at the same time, not to get like super controversial, but a lot of doctors just want to prescribe these things because it's, uh, I don't know if it's easy, if it, if it results in more money for them, or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, I think actual analysis of someone's mental or physical health is sacrificed over benefiting the pharmaceutical company. I agree. You know, I know a lot of friends that are in pharmaceuticals that do pharmacy sales, pharmaceutical sales, and you know, we all know that the doctors have these drugs pushed on them. They get kickbacks, they get benefits, they get trips to resorts, they get dinners, they get all these things. And that contributes to the nation nationwide situation with people becoming more and more addicted. And then when they take them off these drugs, they don't know what to do. So then they go into the harder stuff like heroin or crystal meth. They begin, you know, stealing things and be, you know, going into the system. It's a domino effect. And ultimately they lose. Very few people come out of it on the other side. And I hope if nothing else, his legacy spotlights that. His legacy spotlights the fact that it can happen to anyone. And just because you're a rock star doesn't mean you're isolated from tragedy and isolated from overdosing and and isolated from taking your own life because of the side effects. It really is a tragedy, and I hope the good that comes out of it is that, hey, you know, if you continue down this road and you continue down with this addiction to pharmaceuticals, you're going to possibly die. I mean, the likelihood of you dying is greater every time you take a pill. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, especially with celebrities, it's almost bizarre to think about, but it's like, it, it's a huge reality check anytime you hear of a celebrity dying in any situation um most recently for me i know this is a different circumstance but uh kobe bryant things uh, you know accidents or any sort of you know horrific incidents like that just goes to show i mean we're all human anything can happen and we have to take steps to be able to prevent incidents like what happened to chris and anybody else in the world it really is a a uh, a tragedy, and it's important to appreciate his music. I was more of an audio slave fan than a Soundgarden fan. I love Soundgarden, not to say I don't, but I always connected more with Audio Slave. Uh, his solo work, Absolutely. yeah, his solo work is incredibly underrated, and it doesn't get the exposure that it should. Um. Well, when you when you think of the five big bands from the grunge era, Stone Temple Pilots, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, and Eddie Vedder is the only remaining frontman to carry on the legacy of that music. I mean, you could throw maybe Smashing Pumpkins in there, but I think the big five, you know, is what I just mentioned. 
It's incredible. And and the the way the other you know people have passed away, whether it's Kurt Cobain, whether it's Lane Staley, whether it's Scott Weiland or Chris Cornell, it's all it's been due to drugs. It's been due to suicide and it's it's just a tragedy. Yeah. It really is. Why do you think that commonality exists between those front men? Is it because of maybe the way they grew up? Is it because of, you know, when you think of the grunge movement and you think of the the, the big change from from the 80s rock to the grunge movement, it had this seriousness and it had a underlying sadness also too as well. You know, when you listen to the music, that that those lyrics and the music were both coming from dark places. And I don't know why they all had that influence, although they had that style, but it was very common with all those bands. It was. Um, I would venture to say um, singers like uh, Kurt Cobain and Lane Staley, um, they both had pretty chaotic childhoods. They came from broken homes. I believe Chris Cornell did as well. And it was in those two cases with Kurt Cobain and Lane Staley where they got into the really heavy drugs and um, because of their experiences, they wrote really dark lyrics, really personal lyrics. Actually, the fact is they were so honest, much more honest compared to like 80s rock because, you know, um, 80s rock is kind of like a, kind of associate them with like, fantasies like you know fast cars and girls and well, good you know, all night partying and all that good times exactly but the music that people like Chris Cornell or Lane Staley or Kurt Cobain or Eddie Vedder wrote they were like honest like very um cerebral I'm not sure if that's the right term but very uh, very personal very a lot more honest and intimate and I, it's hard to say exactly why most of those front men fell under that category of, you know, tortured rock star, you know, with, you know, drug addicted and, and all that. Um, but the sad thing is the media tends to focus more on that than their actual, you know, musical legacy. Yeah. And when you think about that music, it was the, you know, anti-rock star. It was jeans and a flannel you know there really wasn't much glam in that era I do believe that that era is the last of the rock scene the Seattle rock scene really is you know the last time America had a movement had a scene because since then it's been very fragmented and I think a lot of that has to do with social media but when you look back at what that area created in terms of Seattle there hasn't been anything like that since. So in essence, they were also carrying that legacy too. I mean, they 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 kind of killed the rock star as we know it. And it was also the last scene, you know, that, that we ever experienced that kids today, the youth of today really don't have what we had, you know, myself with both the Sunset Strip movement and also then the Seattle movement. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's why, for me personally, I'm more involved in the local scene now, um, which is 
I mean, in my opinion, um, a bigger scene, like, in my own, you know, little circle than any other scene out there. Um, because there, there are a lot of bands who were heavily inspired by 90s music in my area. A lot of musicians I know, my friends, my partner, they were all inspired by um, that scene and many others. Yeah, it's like you said. It's, nowadays, it's, it's harder to find. There is music out there that is heavily inspirational, but they're kind of their own, they kind of have their own little niche. Not really like you can't really categorize them into one big, you know, subject or genre or commonality. Well, you have the subgenres now. You know, you have stoner rock, you yeah. have new metal, you have all these types of different subgenres. And in my opinion, I think that hurts the brand of rock music. You know, for me, it's rock, hard rock, heavy metal, punk, and thrash. That's what it is, basically, for me. And I think when you get into some of the other subgenres, the listener who might want to, who may like your music, sees a label for your music and may pass on it without even listening to it. And I think I like simple. I like simplicity. I like, you know, less is more. And I believe, you know, when you talk about the subgenres or anything, I mean, I've had a couple quote unquote stone rocker, stoner rock bands on the show, whether it's Lachinga, whether it's 1000 Mods. I'm having Gorilla Riot on an upcoming episode. It just for me, I, I I'm not really geared towards the subgenres of of rock music. I think it should be simple. I agree, and I that was actually that was my problem when I was a lot younger. Like anytime I saw a certain label, like um, if it was something like if anything was you know pop or anything like that, I was so pretentious about it, and I'm like, oh god, never mind, you know, no, not. I'm, I'm not going to get into that. Um, now I'm a lot more open-minded. Now I listen to pretty much anything, and I don't really care about labels anymore. I definitely agree with <laughs> with what you said there. Like, younger generations, like, not generations, just younger people tend to, uh, there's, there's always a time in somebody's life where they have a fixation on labels, and they don't want to be, like, associated with it or something. Like, I don't want to be associated with, heavy metal or I don't want to be associated with punk rock and the older you get the more you realize it's you know it's, it's kind of ridiculous but at the same time it's like I don't blame them because I was there since his death we've unfortunately seen the lawsuits go back and forth between Soundgarden and his widow we've seen his family call out Eddie Vedder for not attending the memorial We've seen his family call out his daughter with his first wife because of what she may have posted or what she may have said on social media. I don't know Chris personally. I never knew him. But I'd like to think that he would not want all this out there. He would not want all this to be happening. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, there have been a lot of instances recently um, where I don't really, I don't agree with what his widow Vicky is doing. It's, it's really hard because it's like, I, I know, like, like you said, I, I didn't know Chris Cornell personally either, but I would definitely agree that this is not what he would want. It's uh, the, all this drama, all of this, like, how torn the, his whole family has become, including his first daughter. And there's so much unfairness 
going around and so much like hostility and it's like that is not it, that's not what the fans want to hear that's definitely not what Chris would want to happen and I uh, I I definitely have my opinions about it, but I don't want to get like too controversial. No, but, go ahead. Um, no, seriously. What what are your what are your opinions? <laughs> That's what I want to hear. Honestly, I think there is there's 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 such a huge rift like with that band now. I think honestly, I think his widow is being completely completely ridiculous, and I've even heard um, posts on social media about how she's very self-centered, very self-absorbed, not a decent person to be around. And the more I think about it, and especially with her recent actions, I kind of believe it. And it's really sad to think that someone like Chris, who seemed like such a kind-hearted person, was, you know, associated with someone like someone like Vicky, unfortunately. Well, everybody grieves differently. Everybody has a way to do it. Some people grieve with sadness and depression. They, they fall into a depression during grieving. Some people celebrate one's life. Some people, it takes forever to get over something, and they grieve at their own process. I always believe grieving is, is very similar to fingerprints, where everybody has their own way to do it. No way is identical. And it's obvious that, in my opinion, just from reading and seeing what I see, Vicky has taken the anger route of mourning, where, you know, she's put up barriers and she's fighting everything and she's lashing out and filing lawsuits and doing things that hurt the legacy of her late husband, Chris Cornell. I think what you just said, it's hard to imagine Chris Cornell being associated with this person. And I know there's a lot that we don't know. And I will say that. Absolutely. And there's yeah. two sides to every story. But I wish things would remain kind of under the radar where you don't hear about everything that happens. You don't hear about every lawsuit that's filed or you don't hear about every disagreement. And I don't know what side that's coming from, whether it's Soundgarden or whether it's Vicky's side. But it all started when I think her mother attacked Eddie Vedder for not attending the memorial. And Eddie responded by saying that he just couldn't go. And that's, like I said, everybody has a different way of mourning. No way is right. It would have been great for Eddie to be there because him and Chris were great friends. But also, you know, there's the running away part of mourning. There's not wanting to face what happened. And Eddie has lost a lot of people that were friends from that movement. And I think Chris, Chris has probably impacted him more than anybody. And I just think that he couldn't do it, but to call him out publicly like that is just obnoxious and irresponsible. And I, I agree. I, I, I don't feel that you should call out someone because they're grieving in a way that you don't approve of. I'm sure Eddie wanted to be there. I'm sure Eddie just couldn't be there because of just all the emotion that he was going through and he needed to escape and continue with his music because that's maybe how he grieves. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, there's nothing, you know, saying, you know, implying that Eddie didn't care about Chris by not showing up is completely off base. 
completely ridiculous. Yeah. And, and I, I felt that's kind of where it started. Yeah, it, it twists the knife of already losing one of your closest friends. And I just, as soon as I heard that, I'm like, it's so wrong. It's just, it's not fair to Eddie. It's not fair to, um, it's not fair to Chris. And it's not fair to uh, the rest of his family. Because uh, I, I remember the uh, the mother-in-law was kind of bringing um, one of his daughters into it, saying, you made her cry, you know, that, you know, when you said you couldn't come. And it's like... If that's not what she, if that's not what, you know, his daughter wanted, it's like, don't involve her in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was a huge, huge misstep in terms of, of doing that. I mean, I, I, I can imagine them not being happy about Eddie not being there, but you you find the proper channel to express your disappointment. You don't use the press. You don't use social media or whatever tool that you do to call out someone who is grieving. And to think that Eddie didn't care is just wrong. And I think that was a big mistake. And then we moved from that to his daughter from his first marriage, who... I forget what was the circumstance where she claimed that she never got something or whatever, and then Vicky called her out in social media. This is the daughter of yeah. of your husband who died, and you're calling her out in the press again and in social media. What are you doing? What are you doing? I know. It's so ridiculous. I think the context of that was she was not receiving the – adequate amount of funds that she needed because she um she left college for a little while for mental health reasons and um vicky used that as an excuse to cut her off from her father's estate um which is incredibly wrong and honestly i know this is this is is wrong words but that was absolutely disgusting um and Unfortunately, it probably stems from the fact that she is not Vicky's daughter. She is uh, Susan Silver's daughter, you know, Chris Cornell's first wife's daughter. Um, and it's it's just so wrong. And I feel like she is one of the – she has faced a lot of struggles more so. And she's – it's almost like she's – she's like one of the greatest victims in, in this, in this whole situation because there's so much, she's been completely alienated from the rest of his family. And I know, again, that's not what he would have wanted. Right. And especially too, with her mental health issues, that's gotta be even more difficult, you know, for her. I mean, you know, she's also, you know, a young person, you know, she's a young gal and, and she's trying to find her way through life. And this tragedy happens and instead of supporting her, instead of understanding, you basically completely rid yourself of her existence in your family. So now Chris's kids with Vicky, I don't know what's happened since then, but don't have the relationship with their sister, whether Vicky wants to admit it or not, that is their sister. And this is yeah. the blood of her husband. You know, when you marry into a family that is an existing family that has kids, you know, sons, daughters, and the partner that you're with as children, if you're not willing to love and treat those kids like your own, then you shouldn't get married to that person. You shouldn't be involved with that person because ultimately you're marrying 
the person and, and, and the kids and the family. And, you know, I don't know what Vicky's issue is. I don't know if maybe she was always like this and, and I don't know. I don't know the circumstances between Chris and Vicky, but it just seems like the worst possible things you could do to individuals, whether it's Eddie Vedder, whether it's his daughter from a first marriage, you're doing them. You know, you, you, you're making bad decisions. I know you're angry. I know you're upset about your husband dying, but that doesn't mean that you need to lash out and be irresponsible in your decision makings and then use social media and the press to convey what you're thinking or, or, or to tell everyone your thoughts because it's just it's just not the proper place and, and not the proper circumstance under, you know, the, the situation of Chris dying. Exactly. And it's like using social media as, you know, a way to, to rant or, you know, spread negativity. It's like you're not setting a good example for your kids. And the fact that all we hear in the news recently um, regarding Chris Cornell is this whole dispute between Vicky and the rest of the band members. It's so disheartening because it's, it's like we talked about before. It's, she's hurting his legacy, even though his legacy, I, I believe, is his own. And this is just an extremely unfortunate situation. But I believe that at the end of the day, no one can, not even her, can actually take away from everything that Chris created, everything that Chris left for his fans, his kids, and like I said, so many people around the world. I agree. You know, you're you're reading all the back and forth between Soundgarden and Vicky in terms of lawsuits. This one's suing that one, that one's suing this one. And I, I, I do believe his legacy is his own, but I also believe that, unfortunately, this will always be footnotes in his legacy of what happened afterwards. And that's disappointing. I, I don't believe Soundgarden is trying to do anything out of the ordinary or whatever. I do believe that they should control their music. I do believe that they should. They are a band. Vicky is not part of the band. And I'm sure, I don't know what the issues are. If you do, please please share them with the with the audience. But the fact that this has gone on and they're trading lawsuits and based on Vicky's history, you know, I got to look at it and go, you know, Vicky, just why are you doing this? Like you, you, you are set for life. You are never going to have a worry. Why are you doing this? Why are you trying to tear everybody down that was associated with Chris? Exactly. Um, my personal opinion is two reasons. Um, unfortunately, one is definitely greed. Um, she does seem like, because the center of this, uh, at the center of this is money. And that's, that's <laughs> pretty much, that's the, you know, basic explanation for it. But um, I believe the, uh, the context of the lawsuit is the members of Soundgarden, they have demo tracks of, Chris's vocals, as well as some um, music tracks set up to that they were going to release for their next album, and they—it seems like they have enough to, you know, release these uh, release these songs. But Vicky believes that she um, she wasn't getting paid enough in royalties. There was um, money that she was owed, and that those tracks don't belong to the band. They belong to 
Vicky, and she decides what, you know, what she can do with them. And she doesn't want them released unless she gets enough money, which is so wrong because I know there are tons of fans and and the band members themselves that want those songs out released. And I, I would love to hear them, but unfortunately, they're probably not going to be released for years because I know some of us know lawsuits can last a ridiculously long time. I don't know how she can think that that music is hers, considering that they were not married when he was in Soundgarden, at least originally. And right, exactly. th- this is part of the band. The band, you know, you're not in a band that includes wives unless you're, you know, Paul McCartney and Wings. So, you know, I, I just think that for her to do that and her for her to stop what is happening, and I'm sure they're probably just giving her the normal rate on percentage wise. I mean, I'm, I mean, I don't know. I, I have no idea, but you know, for her, for her to get anything at this point is just a bonus from the band, you know, whether it's half a, you know, whatever, what, what Chris would have got or a third or whatever. I just, it's just disappointing. And again, it's hurting the fans, which Chris loved. And again, Chris would not want any of this. Chris would want this stuff released. He'd want people to celebrate his life. And unfortunately, his widow is doing things that you shouldn't do. And I just think that, you know, there's a right and wrong in everything. And sometimes doing the right thing is the hardest thing. But you have to do it. And it's not like Chris left her, you know, empty-handed. It's not like probably Chris, you know, Chris probably left her set up. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I can imagine with all the music he created and his worth, and his estate, I'm sure she's not going to have any issues with finances for her the rest of her life. So I don't, exactly. I mean, I mean, you mentioned greed. How much money do you need before you realize that you're screwing the fans and, and you're screwing his legacy by not moving forward and celebrating his life? I just think that's a, a you know, a misstep, a big misstep in, a, once again, decision-making. I think, I just think greed is probably the greatest way to, to describe it. And it's a shame because Chris came from pretty much nothing, came from a broken home. He would want his fans to hear all this stuff. He would want his fans to embrace it. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, um, as for Vicky, I think the other reason why um, it's uh, like we were talking about before, this is another way of her grieving because if you see her social media posts outside of you know her attacking other people, she talks about how much she's hurting. And that's where it's like, you know, I feel so bad for her, but at the same time, it's so hard because it's like, why are you doing this? You know, the rest of the band members just want to spread positivity and she's just so bitter and it's, it's so sad to see. Um, but I, I don't know if part of it is also in her nature because like I said, you know, there were um, people who said who have met her before when Chris was still alive and said she was kind of an awful person uh not kind of absolutely an awful person and it's really a shame um but i think a combination of that grief mixed with that sort of personality is just so harmful to the person themselves themselves and the people around them i also believe it has to do with the sudden loss i think people grieve 
like Vicky is, the anger, the, the turning away, the running away, when a person's here one moment and they're gone the next, you know, without any type of warning. I think when you understand you're going to be losing someone through a disease or through a sickness or, you know, a, a tragedy and you have time to prepare for it, I think you you grieve differently than when someone commits suicide or overdoses or, or someone who tragically dies in a car accident or whatever. I think that impacts how you how you grieve and how you mourn. And I think we're seeing that with Vicki. I agree. I definitely agree. I, I remember how yeah. Well, um, I also, I, well, I, I also believe the same thing is also with Vanessa Bryant. You mentioned Kobe Bryant before, you know, the sudden passing of Kobe, you know, you have the sadness, but then you start to get angry because that person's not there anymore. And you, you lash out and for, or I should say, fortunately, Vanessa seems to be doing more to suppress things. I know she sued the helicopter company and the helicopter pilot for wrongful death. You know, we don't know the circumstances of why they flew in, into the the weather that they flew into. Maybe that'll all come out in the, in the lawsuit. But yeah, I just think it's when somebody tragically dies suddenly. I think your grieving process is much harder and much longer. Yeah, I know. In the beginning, Vicky was um, she wanted to sue the um, pharmaceutical company for wrongful death, and you know, in that case, I I, did, I don't disagree with her. Um, I think, um, but the sad thing is, especially when someone dies suddenly, they, the people who are left, um, especially the widows, it seems like in both scenarios, they're looking for someone to blame. Um, I think in Vicky's case, part of her may blame herself, um, which, you know, it's not, it's not her fault, but she, she may think that, and that's why she's you know taking it out on the band members taking it out on you know part of its family and it's it's so sad to see and really digging into like the psychological motives behind it it's um i mean it's it's a guess it's a, it's an absolute guess i'm not saying this is fact um i'm just giving my opinion um because we don't know what what exactly is going through her head or what goes through anyone's head when they're grieving but it's definitely a possibility. When you think of his music and you think of his legacy, what's the song or performance that helps you cope with losing him as a fan? Well, recently I watched his, um, one of Soundgarden's uh, concerts from 2013, uh, live from the artist then. And I was actually watching it with my mom because she she's the one who, who introduced me to Soundgarden. She's as big of a Chris Cornell fan as I am. And it's like um, wa- watching those songs, watching him perform like that, it, you almost forget about all of the sad parts of, you know, his, uh, his legacy, unfortunately. And... And that, that also includes, like, his older performances. Like, um... There's an MTV performance from 1996 that everyone always talks about. Everyone always shares on social media and reposts and all that. And there are just too many to count, in my opinion. 
um, anything from the Super Unknown album that he performs or that you can just listen to is it's that really is a masterpiece of an album. When you look back at his legacy, it's obvious that he's one of the greatest singers of all time in rock history. And his voice is so recognizable. And that will always be how his legacy endures anything. And two monster bands, Soundgarden, that helped the grunge movement, and Audio Slave, which was this modern rock band that came along when rock was really struggling, and it still continues to. But you have these two great bands. You have a solo career that just has these incredibly written songs. It's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking of the tragedy, but it's important to still connect with that music. It's important to still enjoy that music. You know, I often say when someone does lose someone, and I've even been told this when when I've lost someone, that sooner or later the tears turn into laughter and smiles. And as as we are at the three-year mark of his anniversary, it's time to start smiling when you listen to his music. It's time to stop thinking of the tragedy. It's time to start reconnecting with those songs that meant so much to you because they are great songs. They're great lyrically, sonically, musically. They're all fantastic. And I, I think as we, as we continue forward, I think that'll happen more. I think when these footnotes of his legacy hopefully die down and hopefully go away, I think people will be able to move forward. And hopefully one day these demos that Soundgarden has will see the light of day so people can continue to celebrate his life because that's really all that it's about. Absolutely. That's, um, I think it's, like you said, once enough time passes and, and it's definitely, it's been almost three years now, which is really unbelievable to think about. But um, I think a good positive takeaway is the um, more time that passes, the more that we're able to focus less on the tragedy and, you know, let those, you know, wounds, whether it's as a fan or as a band member, fellow band member or, you know, a member of his family, um, once those, um, once that pain goes away, you can focus on, you know, exactly what he left behind, you know, as an amazing discography, so many albums from, you know, like four different bands, you know, Temple of the Dog as well as another one that I've never been able to stop listening to his solo work, Audio Slave, Soundgarden, that's never going to go away. Even when someone leaves us, they stay with us, you know, and, and you just mentioned the music's never going to go away. And I think that's an awesome way to put it is we'll always have it. We'll always be able to connect with it. And, I, and maybe and maybe it was hard for people to listen to right after his passing, but I think we're at the point now where if you haven't already, you should start to celebrate his life more and you should really dive into his music because it's unbelievable. I mean, I was a late comer to the grunge movement because I was such an 80s rock fan that when all that started to change over and occur, I resisted it. But Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, as I've, as I've said before, were always the two bands that I connected with right off the bat because they were more hard rock, they were more metal than the other bands that were coming out. So, you know, I've been able to listen to his music and enjoy it. I've been able to dive into it and reconnect with some songs that I had forgotten about or maybe haven't listened to in a while. 
And I think that's the important with grieving as a fan that you'll always have his music. You'll always have his performances. You can go on YouTube and watch whatever. And hopefully, you know, we do see some unreleased stuff, whether it's through Soundgarden, whether it's through Audio Slave. You know, the one person that really hasn't been, you know, in the, in the, uh, what do they call it? The uh, crosshairs of Vicky has been Tom Morello. And I think, you know, he's probably playing his cards close to the vest and he's probably playing, seeing how the Soundgarden stuff plays out. But I'm sure he's got stuff with Chris that maybe is unreleased too as well. I agree. Absolutely. I, I definitely think there is some unreleased audio slave material out there, which I would be incredibly excited to hear. Um, and yeah, it's like you said, I think Tom Morello has, um, rightfully so, been able to distance himself a little more from the drama. And and you even see, like, I would say once a week or every other week, he's always posting something about Chris Cornell, like sharing a memory or or um, posting an old picture or, you know, anything from an old concert or saying, hey, this happened like 15 years ago. You know, this is this was incredible, you know. Um, and that is the way to honor someone like Chris Cornell or any musician like ever who unfortunately passed away too soon. Do you think Soundgarden will ever regroup with a different singer? I mean, we've seen Stone Temple Pilots do it. We've seen Alice in Chains do it. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I personally don't think it's going to happen. I know um, Kim Sale, the guitarist for Soundgarden, said almost right away, Soundgarden is definitely done, but um, the other members, Kim Thale, Ben Shepard, and Matt Cameron, all want to still make music. Uh, of course, Matt Cameron is in Pearl Jam, and um, I bet there's going to be a project of the three of them together that may definitely happen, but I definitely don't see, and I honestly don't think it should happen. Um, I don't see them forming again as Soundgarden with a different singer. Alice in Chains and Stone Temple Pilots got incredibly lucky with the singers they found, and they've definitely, they're still able to, you know, not only make music together, but find, you know, a pretty decent amount of success, and that's fantastic. Um, but as for Soundgarden, um, Soundgarden is kind of a different case, and since the band members sort of confirmed it, I definitely um, think that chapter of their book is closed growing up as a Soundgarden fan as a Chris Cornell fan what is your favorite memory of him and how it affected you let's see favorite memory I would say recently um when I was 15 the whole summer before my sophomore year of high school I listened to nothing but Chris Cornell's solo work um and Soundgarden and Audio Slave but I would listen to his solo album carry on on repeat on a complete loop back to back just over and over again and you know being like being home alone because I wasn't in school and just being able to you know go throughout the house blasting his music was such a fun time and introducing friends to his music and someone actually like saying oh my god this is really good you know what else can you show me that's like the best feeling when you're able to successfully share music that you love with somebody else. Well, Ari, it's been a blast. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for talking about Chris. Thanks for doing this. Um, I really do appreciate it. 
you know, it's it's been three years and it hasn't gotten any easier um, in remembering him. But at least when I listen to the music, and I hopefully a lot of people feel the same way, the music brings me joy rather than sadness. And I hope that's happening for a lot of people. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much, Jay. Well, that's Ari Carnezes, and this is Jay Scott of The Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope you're staying well. Hope you're staying healthy. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.